0: Well, good morning. morning. It's great to have you here with us today. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down the aisle. I want to make sure you have a Bible. I want to make sure you have a bulletin so you know what's happening here at LifePoint. You can track along with our story uh, this morning. You know, as Michelle was playing that song, it's actually kind of funny, Michelle, um, this week when I was working on next week's message, I had jotted down a note to myself of, hey, next week I want Trevor to sing uh, Be Thou My Vision, because what I was doing And so now you're playing this week, so you kind of ruined it for me next week. (laughs) But here's the other component to this. The funny part is, so that's on my notes this week. You play this morning, and a little confession here. I know I'm about to lose my man card with a whole bunch of people. I watched the wedding yesterday. (laughs) Now you need to understand, first of all, Am I literally the only guy in this room who watched it? Raise your hand, dudes, if you watched it. Oh, that's impressive that you raised your hand, because I didn't think any guy would raise his hand. But if you, watch, if you watched it, they played that song in the wedding, too. So it's kind of like the trifecta there. And, and anyway, so, um, so I don't know why I brought that up, other than I lost my man card this week. And so thanks for playing that and reminding me that that happened. The re, just for clarity. I was just doing my morning, Saturday morning stretches and all that, and it was on every channel, so I was stuck, okay? Just, just for clarity. You buying that? <laughs> okay, a couple more things real quick before we dive in. So next thing, you ever have those dreams early in the morning, um, and then later in the day something happens, and it sparks the memory of that little dream? Raise your hand if that's happened to you. I just Okay, so this morning I walk in, um a uh, parked car walked in through the back doors and right as I'm walking in Will was passing by me Will who's playing the piano up here and or the synthesizer and he walked and, and I look at him I go dude I had a dream about you this morning now I don't know how that comes across if your pastor says to you hey I had a dream about you <laughs> but I was like I did, and it's just like I had this dream about you dude you were on stage and you were preaching And I said, you were bringing it. And it was incredible. I don't know what you were saying, but I just remember the feelings, like you were just bringing the word, and I don't know what that means, if it's from God or the pizza I had last night, but you were bringing it. I said, but the one thing is when you stepped, like there there was like a podium or something, and you stepped away from it, and I was like, okay, when we do our critique time of the message, I said, you're gonna have to not wear shorts, jean shorts that are rolled up right here. You can't, as your first time on stage, wear shorts when you're preaching, and so I don't know what the dream meant. But uh, <laughs> but you've had those, right? Kind of just crazy, like, what is that and what was that? But, so if Will's preaching one day, maybe that's where it all started. Uh, last thing is, I loved watching this morning. Um, just how a bunch of you, I saw a bunch of you do it. Um, you were being really conscientious of those who were coming in who were looking for a seat. And I just want to, those who did it, you know who you are. And I just want to say thank you, because I watched a few of you say, hey, hey, are you looking for a seat, you, you know, and the, you moved over. And that was just really cool, and that you are conscientious of that, because, you know, this is our full service, and that's great, and it's wonderful. You know, we have more room than the other services. But I just, for those of you who did that, and for those of you who will ever do that, thank you. Uh, that just is a, a big, big help as people are, are trying to come in during this service time. All right, there's enough uh, randomness. Um, you can turn in your Bible to 1 uh, Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, or go to the YouVersion Bible app and we'll get there eventually. So we're studying a little bit of the life of David, who was Israel's greatest king. And we're gonna, when we jump into the story that we're looking at today, we're gonna discover something that's extremely relevant to all of us. For some of us, this is going to be relevant to us right now, right what we're going through, what's going on in our lives. Others of us, this is going to be relevant to you in the future at some point. And what you and I are going to discover this morning is that the ways of God, the ways of God, the commands of God, the laws of God, the wisdom of God, what God would have for our lives is most unappealing and seemingly irrelevant to us when we're isolated and lonely When we're afraid or when we're angry. When we're angry, isolated, or afraid, the wisdom of God, the direction of God for our life, the path of God for our life is going to be irrelevant to us. We're going to be like, why would I do that? Why would I choose to go down that path? And we're going to feel that when we're angry, isolated, or afraid. And when we're angry, isolated, or afraid, something will happen to us we will have the potential to cross moral and ethical boundaries that we've put up for ourselves. Whether they're just standards we've set for ourselves or they're standards based on what God has for us, we have the potential to cross those boundaries that we've set up relationally, that we've set up physically, that we've set up financially, or even professionally. Whatever those boundaries are for us, we have the potential to cross we're angry, isolated, or afraid, and when we cross those boundaries, most likely, that's probably part of the story of you sharing some of your greatest regrets in life. In other words, if you were to stand up and say, hey, I, I wanna tell you my greatest regret in life, chances are, for some of you, it would be when you were super angry, And then you did something that you regret for the rest of your life. Or you're in a season of life and you're isolated or you were lonely and you made some decisions and you look back and go, man, that was terrible, that's the worst regret in my life. Or you were full of fear and you were afraid and you did some things that led you down a path to where you look back and go, man, I regret that so much because I responded that way in my fear. What we're going to do is we're going to look at David today again. And we're going to see that this happened to him when he was in his 20s. It was one of the two greatest failures of his life. And it's one of the more dramatic stories in all the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. So let, let's catch us up real quick. If you were here last week with us, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to go on and watch or listen online. But if you, uh, what we looked at and what we talked about is David was in the Valley of Allah. And he went and he battled and killed the giant Goliath. And as a result of him doing that, he became the most famous person, at least the most famous teenager, in all of Israel. I mean, he was, he was famous now. He's trending. He's popular. Everybody knows about him. He's a celebrity. Well, Israel's king at the time, Israel's first king, King Saul, he realized that suddenly David has a whole lot of influence in people's lives. And when you have influence, that means you have power. And so David has influence, and David has power. Well, the issue, one of the issues with Saul is if you read through the Bible and you see some of his story, Saul was super insecure. He had a whole lot of insecurities. And whether that was the case or if at the very least Saul was afraid of David's influence, it caused Saul to make some decisions. And one of the decisions he made is he tried to get David close into his family. He tried to keep them close, you know, kind of the idea of keep your enemies, you know, friends close and your enemies closer. And so Saul's kind of creating this narrative and this story in his head. And so he's like, I got to keep David close to me so that he can control him and he could control his movements and his decisions. Well, in that process, David eventually marries one of the king's, Saul's daughters. In that process, David becomes best friends with David or King Saul's son Jonathan who that son's eventually supposed to be the king. The next thing you know, Saul realizes that David is like in his family and he realizes, uh oh, this was a bad idea. David is like more influential than every, ever before. My ideas and thoughts they backfired. Everybody loves David and he's thinking they love him more than him. And so, Saul makes it even worse. And he makes it worse because he's just super jealous, he's angry, he's afraid. And that's where I want to pick up the story this morning. Saul and his family are sitting around the dinner table. And they're having some, this wouldn't be your normal dinner table conversation that we're going to look at right here. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. At least I hope this isn't happening at your dinner table. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at his son Jonathan. So they're sitting around the dinner table, and can you imagine your dad saying to you at the dinner table, and he said to them, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I think this is ancient swearing, I think. (laughs) Why call his own son that? I want you to notice his jealousy, verse 30. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? Saul's like, I've had it. I'm tired of pretending here. I know it. I knew it all along. I know that every one of you at this table this entire time, you've been siding with that little shepherd boy, you know, and he's now part of this family, and you like him more than you like me. And he says this to your own shame and to to the shame of that, that mother who bore you. I mean, he's got some marriage issues right there, you can tell. Anyway, he goes on. Look at verse 31, 1 Samuel 20. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, and this is Saul's real issue, Neither you nor your kingdom will be established. See, because Jonathan's supposed to be next in line to be king. And Saul wanted to leave, of course, a legacy. And then he says this Now send someone to bring him to me. For David, he must, what's the word? He must die. I'm just curious. Dinner conversation around your table? Is that going on? Don't raise your hand if it is, please. He must die. Jonathan goes to his best friend, David, and says, Yo, Dave, we got a little bit of a problem here. You got to get out of here. You might want to leave because my dad's not going to rest until you're gone, until you're dead. He's too threatened now by your reputation, by your influence, and, you know, by your power. And so David, he's in his early 20s. Suddenly, hearing all this, suddenly David's full of fear. Suddenly David's afraid, and now he's feeling also, he's full of fear, and he feels like he's alone. Because why? Because he's now been rejected by his father-in-law. He's been rejected by the king. By the way, the king that he has helped over and over and over, the king that he's risked his life for over and over and over, and now this king is causing David to feel abandoned. And so, of course, he feels isolated, and he's angry about this whole thing. After all he's done for the king, and now he's afraid. And he did what many of us do in this room. When we feel abandoned or when we're angry or we're afraid, he panicked. He entered into survival mode. What is that? Survival mode is when when you and I decide to take matters into our own hands. You ever do that? You ever in a situation where your reaction is to do something, to do anything? You just take matters into your own hands. And what we're about to see, David take his matters into his own hands. It's a terrible, horrific story. And he lost sight of something that's hard for you and I to imagine because we're looking into the story, and we know the story. We we know how it ends. And so we would, on the front end, we would say to David, come on, David, don't panic, don't be afraid, don't run, don't abandon your morals and ethics, don't go down that path. Because we would look at David and we know that's not a good decision. i imagine there's some people who might be looking at you right now with some of the decisions you're making right now. They might be ro- wondering the same thing about you. Don't do it. Why do that? Don't go down that path. In fact, I'll bet some of you can look back on a season of your life. You look back and you've had some time to reflect and to think and to see how it all played out. And you look back and go, why did I do that? why did I go there? Why did I buy that? Why did I connect with that person? Why did I go there? We've had those situations, and that's what David does, because he's in this situation, and, and he's in a moment where he feels abandoned. He's isolated. He's angry. He's afraid, and his inclination is our natural inclination, which is to panic and to do something we wouldn't normally do, to do something we wouldn't ordinarily do, and that's what David does. The Bible tells us Jump ahead to chapter 21, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Look at verse 1. It said, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. So at this particular time, you have the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. This is before the temple has been built, and so there's no permanent temple for the Ark to reside in. So the, so the Ark is with the priests, and it's in the tabernacle, and it would move around from city to city. And so the Ark is in Nob, and the priests are there, and Ahimelech's you know, the, the, the chief priest. He's the high priest at the time. And David shows up. Look at verse 1 again. Ahimelech troubled when he, meet, when he met him. And he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You see, Ahimelech had never seen David by himself before. Because David's practice, David's custom as a mighty warrior, he'd always have his warriors with him. And so all of a sudden, David shows up here, and and Ahimelech sees it's just David all by himself. He's looking around. He's kind of like, what's going on here? Verse 2, David answered Ahimelech the priest. And what we're going to see in a moment is David is about to lie to Ahimelech the priest. Now, why is David going to lie? Because he's afraid. A little bit angry at what happened. He's feeling isolated and abandoned right now. And when when you're angry, isolated, or afraid, you and I do the same thing. It's in those times that you and I, like David, are more susceptible to disobeying the commands of God. It's in the times when we're angry, isolated, and afraid that we're more likely to abandon God's wisdom for our life, God's direction for our life, and God's plan for our life. And here's David's lie. Verse 2. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. Blatant lie number one, right? He's like, shh, I can't tell anybody here. I'm on a secret mission. That's why I'm by myself. Verse 2, as for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Totally lame, right? Lie number two there. He's afraid. He's afraid. Hey, if I tell the truth, Ohimelech's not going to help me. And David's feeling like he needs help right now. What's pretty sad, just jumping ahead, we'll look at it later. But what's sad is, ultimately... David's choices and David's decisions in the story will cost Ahimelech and his family, and it will cost them greatly. Verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 21, David says, What do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. So David's hungry. I mean, he got out of there quick, and he has no food, and Ahimelech's thinking to himself, man, this is just weird. The king's son-in-law is here, and, and he's a mighty warrior, and, and he's telling me he's on this secret mission for the king, and all his men are hiding somewhere, and now he's hungry. I mean, Ahimelech's like, this is bizarre. You kind of following the story here? He's like, what's going on here? Verse 4, the priest answered, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. Now, what's he talking about? Well, every, every Sabbath, the priests would bake fresh bread, and they would put it on the altar of the Lord, and they do this every Sabbath. This was their way of honoring God. And of course, you know, lo and behold, the next day would come, and uh, God would not have eaten the bread, right? The bread's still sitting there. To which, this is just kind of goofy, Chris, but I've always wondered, why didn't God ever do like the Santa thing? You know, and kind of eat the milk and cookies? Right? I mean, at our house, Santa always ate the the cookies and the milk. Raise your hand if in your house, Santa ate the cookies and the milk and drank the milk, okay? Right? Most of you, those who he didn't, sorry, I know you're traumatized. The rest of us, we knew it was legit because he ate the cookies. Anyway, the next day, new bread was put out. And then the priests were able to eat the bread, you know, the day-old bread, the leftover bread. But the bread they were able to eat is still considered consecrated bread, which meant in order to eat it, you had to be ceremonially clean. And Ahimelech asked David about that. But in verse 5, David lies for the third time. And he says, oh, I'm good. I'm ceremonially clean. And so Ahimelech gives him the consecrated bread. Are you catching what's happening here? David has lied three times. Not only why he's there, he's lied now about being uh, fed. And it's like, whoa, David, time out here. What happened to last week's message? What happened to last week's message when you boldly declared, in you, God, I put my trust, my hope is in you all day long? What happened to that, David? What happened to that decision-making, David? Where did he go? Well, like you and I, when you're angry, or you feel abandoned, or you feel alone and isolated, or if there's some fear going on in you, or you're afraid, you start to do what David did, which you start depending on your own ingenuity. You start to depend on your own cunning to get your needs met. And so David, like us, forgot that God had provided for him in the past. David lost sight of trusting in God. Well, this story, man, it gets more intense. And I'm hoping as this drama unfolds this morning, I'm hoping this next part really, really speaks to you. First uh, Samuel, chapter 21, verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear and a sword here? Ahimelech, again, he's like, okay, well, wait a minute. You're like the most famous warrior in all the nation. You show up, you haven't slept and it looks like days, you look disheveled, you don't have any food. You don't have your, your, your warriors with you, and you don't even have your weapon? So a Himalaya can't comprehend this. David says, look at verse 8, I haven't brought my sword or, or any other weapon. Because why? The king's message was so urgent. He lies again. Now what's about to transpire here should have been David's wake-up moment. And you and I have moments in our life and things that happen in our life that are meant to be our wake-up moments. And David should have had a wake-up moment here. The priest replied to him, hey, do you have it? David says, do you have any swords here? The The priest replied, 1 Samuel 21, 9, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed, it's the only sword that's here. Question, what should have happened in that moment? What should have happened for David? Shouldn't that, seeing that illustration, seeing that sword in front of him, shouldn't that have jogged his memory to when he stood up to the giant? When he stood up to a giant, not in his own strength, but in the strength of God, shouldn't that have jogged his memory? When I saw saw Will this morning, it jogged my memory that I had a, you know, dream of him preaching in shorts. You know, shouldn't that have jogged David's memory? Shouldn't he have remembered what happened with the giant in the Valley of Elah? As a little shepherd boy took on a giant battle-hardened warrior. And when he declared, hey, you giant, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Shouldn't he have remembered when he said that? Shouldn't he have remembered when he said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47, when he stood there and with all the armies around him, shouldn't he have remembered that he said, all those gathered here will know that it's not by spirit or sword that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Shouldn't he have remembered I mean, David just got a visual aid from Ahimelech to remind him of God's faithfulness, of God's power. But David completely missed it. And why did David miss it? Because that's what these three giants do. The giants of anger, fear, and isolation. What they do for David, they do for us. They have the potential to cause us to forget and to ignore the defeated giants in our past. They cause us to lose confidence in God who took care of us in the past. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 9. Ahimelech says to him, if you want it, take it. There's no other sword here but that one. And David's getting ready to make a decision that he's going to regret for the rest of his life. Verse 9, David said, there's none like it, so give it to me. David just continues this path of trusting in himself, of making bad decisions. And he continues to forget that his hope and trust is supposed to be, as he said, in the Lord all day long. And instead, he keeps taking matters into his own hands. You ever do that? You ever just keep going back to yourself over and over and over? I mean, David, he runs away from crazy Saul. And now he, he wants the giant's sword that should have stood as a reminder to him of how God had defeated the giant and not David. He's lied multiple times throughout the story. He should have remembered. And as we're about to see, he not only missed it, but it led to a disastrous outcome. And this is where David's story begins to really intersect with our story here this morning. You see, when we need God most, when David needed God's most, when we need God most, we are tempted to want run away from God rather than run towards God. When you and I need God most, we're tempted to run away from Him rather than run towards Him. We opt for things that didn't work in the past. We opt for bad decisions we made in the past and we go back to those. And those decisions are what led us to our terrible regrets we have. I got to tell you, one of the things that I have learned in my life as a Jesus follower from my own life and from hearing your stories what I've learned is it's so easy to trust God when we don't really have anything to trust God with or we don't really have anything to trust God for right in those times it's easy I mean a picture the preacher up there doing a message on you know financial stewardship And you're just like flat out broke. You have nothing. You're in debt. And you're hearing all that and how you're supposed to trust God first and put him first in your life and, you know, give, save, live on the rest. And you're hearing that message. You're like, absolutely, God. I trust you all day long. I'm going to do that as soon as this, you know, as soon as I have anything to give. You know, I'm going to give it to you, God. I'm going to eventually tithe. I'm all in. And when you don't have anything, it's easy to say that. What happens later in life? Maybe you get to the point in your life where all of a sudden you have something. And once you have something, you're like, man, now it's a little tougher. Now it's a little tougher to be faithful to God. Now I have a lot of these commitments, a a lot of these desires. I'm the one who earned all this. I'm the one who made this. It was my ingenuity. You see, when things are going great, it's... It's pretty easy to sing the songs, right? And to praise God through the song. It's pretty easy to come here and serve. It's easy to pray. It's easy to pray for others who are going through a lot of difficulties. And you're like, oh man, I pray God gives you wisdom and courage and strength and that he fills you with this hope in the midst of your tragedies and trials. And Man, you're like a praying machine for other people. But it's hard to trust him, isn't it? When you're going through it. When things start to slip away from you when it requires you to trust God to provide for the things that you personally want to value. It's hardest to trust when we're going through the trials, the difficulties, the challenges, when we're we're confronted with the reality that we really need God to step up for us. So David, he's feeling angry, isolated. He's feeling afraid, and he takes Goliath's sword and he leaves the country. Now this is crazy because his decision-making isn't going right. He's angry, isolated, afraid. Where does he go? With Goliath's sword. The Bible tells us he goes to the land of the Philistines. And to to make matters worse, he goes to the city of Gath with Goliath's sword. Anybody want to guess whose hometown the city of Gath was? Anyone want to take a guess? It was Goliath's hometown. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is crazy what David is doing. It's ridiculous. But he's panicking. He's afraid. He's lost sight of putting his trust in God and hoping in God all day long. And you and I read the story and go, David, this is unbelievable. How can you do this? And other people look at you when you're angry or isolated or afraid and they're watching the decisions you make and from the outside they're going, what are they doing? You ever have that happen to a friend or family member and you just feel so helpless to help them? You, some of you, have been in those scenarios. Some of you have been in that scenario, just like David, your decisions just get worse and worse and worse. So he goes to the Philistine leader in Gath and he says, hey, I wanna join your army. But they're not buying it. They're like, oh, hold on, you're David. We know who you are. You killed our our giant Goliath. In fact, you're carrying his sword. And David's like, "Uh uh-oh, they're not believing my lies right? He's kind of like, he has at least enough of an epiphany here to go, man, what am I doing here? And so David panics again. He's afraid he thinks they're going to take him out. And so what does he do? He does another crazy thing. He pretends to be insane and crazy. He starts drooling all, the Bible says drooling all over his beard, and he's clawing and scratching. And and the king's like, hey, I already got enough crazy people in my court, you know, get out of here and leave. And so David's like, okay, I'm out of here. And so David runs again, And he flees. And he goes and he lives in a cave because he doesn't know what else to do. He goes and lives in a cave because he doesn't know what else to do. He feels abandoned. He feels angry. And he's afraid. And he's all alone. And here's my question for you. All David's actions of trusting in himself, did it make things better for him or worse? What is the answer? Worse. Remember how we started talking in the beginning start trusting in yourself and your own ways and pursuing that in the end we actually make it worse David didn't want to be lonely or isolated you can't be any more isolated and alone than living in a cave by yourself he would have never imagined that was going to happen well eventually the Bible tells us David comes to his senses he gets right with God and, and praise God for that That's, we'll look more into his story in the future but for day, today the problem is the damage was done David did the damage and so when you have David uh, who has come before Ahimelech and he's looking for this weapon and looking for this you know this sword and he's looking for food when he came before Ahimelech there was another guy named Doeg who was there and, and he overheard the conversation Doeg was the chief herdsman of Saul So Doeg leaves that, hearing that conversation between Ahimelech and David. He goes to Saul, 1 Samuel, now we go to chapter 22, chapter 22, verse 10. And here's what Doeg says to King Saul. He says, hey, Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave David provisions, and King Saul, I I hate to tell you this, but he also gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine." Doeg is trying to convince Saul and, uh, uh, that the priest Ahimelech is on David's side and the priest is against David, or against King Saul. He's just delivering a whole lot of fake news right here. Doeg goes on and tells King Saul. Or actually goes on and says this, verse 11. The king sent for the priest Ahimelech and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said to him, Why do you conspire against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and requ- inquiring of God for him? In other words, Ahimelech, man, my whole family's been against me from the beginning. David's against me, and now I hear you're against me too. You're my high priest, and you're against me. And, and you know, Ahimelech's like, Whoa, hold on here. Back up the train. And he answers, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 14. Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? In other words, David's not rebelling against you, King Saul. He didn't say this, but it's like, you're crazy. You're insane. Where where do you come up with this stuff? David's your most loyal subject. He goes on and said, he's highly respected in your household. Verse 15, let not the king accuse your servant. Or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. This fake news from Doag, whatever's going on, whatever you've heard, none of that is true. Verse 16, but the king said, You will surely, what's the word? You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Because Saul's afraid, he's paranoid, he's jealous. Verse 18, then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. So Doeg goes on, he slaughters 85 priests. King Saul's not. that's not enough for him. He says, I want you guys to go back to to Nob. I want you to kill everybody there. Doeg goes to do that. By happenstance, one of Ahimelech's sons happens to escape the slaughter. And he goes and he tries to find David. He eventually finds David. He tells David this whole story. David's heartbroken. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 22. And it says this. It says, I am responsible for the death of your entire family. David is responsible for the death of an entire village. Why? Because taking matters into our own hands, sometimes it feels good, sometimes it feels right. It feels good to us, but it rarely turns out good. When you and I take matters into our own hands, it might feel right. Listen, it might seem right to us. The logic may make sense to us. It just rarely turns out right. So I want to wrap up this morning seeing how this intersects our lives directly. Because there's going to be a time, whether it's going on right now or in the near future or in the future, when your anger or your isolation or your loneliness or your fear is going to push you to do something you wouldn't ordinarily do, that suddenly you will consider options and choices you would never under normal circumstances ever consider. But in those moments when you're angry, isolated, or afraid, all of a sudden, things you would never consider, you know what they become for you? They become options. Options that were never on the table for you before. So here's my question for you this morning. What is your loneliness, anger, or fear causing you to consider that you wouldn't ordinarily consider doing? Financially, maybe? Physically, maybe? Maybe some sort of risk you know you would never take if you weren't angry, isolated, or afraid. Maybe you're considering re-embracing an old habit that took weeks, months, years, or even thousands of dollars to overcome, and now it's an option for you again. Maybe the what is not really a what. Maybe the what is a who. You're considering someone you have no business pursuing. What is your loneliness, anger, or fear causing you to consider that under normal good healthy following God's ways circumstances you wouldn't ordinarily pursue and here's what I hope is going to be a wake-up call to these questions who besides you does your consideration put at risk who besides you if you choose that path is that put at risk you and I by the way know the answer it's those who are closest to us right friends family people that love us and we love them Whose future hangs in the balance of your personal decision to give in to the impulse that's created by loneliness or anger or fear? And then this last kind of step out of the situation question. What advice would you give someone who is you? What advice would you give someone who is you? I know David's advice. Not 20-year-old David, but 20 something but later in life, grown-up King David said this in Psalm chapter 9, verse 9. He said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Notice it says the Lord is. Not alcohol, not drugs, not another person, not debt, not a new car, new house, new anything. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Notice it goes on and says a stronghold. A stronghold is a place you run to when there's a war going on. He's saying God is a stronghold. God is the place we're to run to. God is the relationship we're to run to when we feel ignored or in times of trouble. In other words, David says, hey, story we all just talked about today when I was younger, that's my story. I took refuge in my ingenuity and my what I thought was the ability to control the outcomes what I thought was my way of actually making things work correctly and what I discovered in that is that my way of thinking and me taking hope and putting my hope in myself all day long it was the disaster and so later on in life he now realizes he looks back and he comes to his senses and he writes in psalm chapter 9 verse 10 those who know your name trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Don't miss it. Ahimelech gave David a visual reminder. And he gave him that reminder that David should have remembered. Don't keep running and trying to do it on your own. Instead, remember. Remember that God is with you, that God is your strength, that God is your refuge. That God is the one you can lean in and put your hope and trust in all day long. You have a choice. You can run away from God and run to your own way of doing it or you can remember how God has been trustworthy and faithful in your life. He demonstrated that with King Jesus dying on a cross for our sins. He's been faithful to you. And you can remember that. You can run to a cave like David or you can run to a Christ. you going to run to the cave? You're going to run to the Christ. You choose. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. He is your stronghold. If you remember how He's been faithful and if you turn and trust in Him and not yourself. Let's pray.